I would again direct you to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Luke writes, For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth in order a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, even as they delivered them unto us, which from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word. It seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee in order, most excellent Theophilus, that thou mightest know the certainty of those things wherein thou hast been instructed. In our afternoon series of messages, we have been studying the unfolding revelation of God from its seed form in Genesis uh, to the full uh, harvest that is given to us in the book of Revelation. Studying the various periods of revelation and of God's glorious activity as he has entered into this world and in these last days in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ in order to save us. And we have come in our study now in the New Testament to the particular witness of the two books of Luke and Acts. The two books of Luke and Acts. And the reason why we treat them together is because they shared the same author, the good Dr. Luke, who studied theology under Paul. And he makes it very clear that these two Uh, books are companion volumes. It's a two-volume set. Luke, the Gospel of Luke, and the Acts of the Apostles. And not surprisingly, we find various uh, themes, various threads of blessed truth that run through them and unite them together. Now, the Gospel of Luke shares, of course, much in common with the other three Gospels. In fact, uh, uh, the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke are often called the synoptic Gospels. That's a word that means looking as through one eye. And it is clear that John, although he records the ministry of Jesus Christ, that he comes at it from something of a significantly different point of view, but very clearly they complement each other. And so while we are taking uh, note of the unique shape and the form of these various uh, periods of revelation and the authors that the Holy Spirit has used to reveal unto us Jesus Christ, let us not think uh, that there is uh, no fundamental unity. What God has joined together, let no man tear apart. 
That's what those who doubt the truth of the Bible do. They think it's merely a series of human ideas and experiences, and that's all that they are. No. This is the very truth of God. But there is something that is unique to each of these authors and their works, and so to the books of Luke and Acts. Last time we considered, uh, we made a beginning at two of the major themes of Luke and Acts. First, eyewitness salvation history. Eyewitness salvation history. And so we considered uh, the first four verses of Luke as introducing both of these aspects. This is not just any history, although it is good history. Luke was a careful historian, just like he was a careful doctor. But he's recording for us the most important history of all, salvation history in Jesus Christ. But more than that, he is recording eyewitness history. Though he was not an eyewitness himself, he interviewed many who were. And then in the Acts of the Apostles, he records uh, the the account of, of the works of Jesus Christ through the apostles who themselves were Jesus' witnesses. You shall be my witnesses, says Jesus. Witnesses especially of the resurrection. Second, God and his sovereign plan. Now again, it's not as though we don't come across these themes in Matthew, Mark, in John, but there is something of an accent of the absolute, exalted, sovereign God who is working out his sovereign plan. As Peter says in Acts 2.23, him, Jesus, being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and by wicked hands have crucified and slain. It's all according to the sovereign plan of God. No accidents. And there really are no accidents in this world, are there? Two weeks ago, I got rear-ended and I called it an accident, but there really, there really are no accidents when there is a sovereign God who is in control of everything. And the death of Jesus, although it looked like a train wreck, was no accident. And even the persecutions that began to happen recorded for us in the Acts of the Apostles. This is all according to plan. And that's how they pray. In Acts chapter 4, quoting Psalm 2, God, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth have set themselves against you, O God, and against your Christ. But it's all according to plan. And when Jesus sent his apostles, he sent them according to the divine master plan. 
which eventually included someone who was born out of due time. God had a plan for him too. And he had a plan that he would take the name of Jesus to the nations and even unto the kings and the Roman emperor himself. Well, now consider with me three more points as we look at the, the, the message of these two volumes, Luke and Acts, the third point being all mankind, all mankind. There's a certain note of universality that is presented to us, and it doesn't take long as we go into Luke's gospel and we see that, that can we put it this way, the drone pans out. And very quickly we see a, a large panorama of what God is doing. And it came to pass, Luke 2 verse 1, in those days, that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. Now, this fits hand in glove, doesn't it, uh, with the theme of God and His sovereign plan. But all humanity is uh, brought before us. Simeon takes up the Christ child in his arm in Luke chapter 2, and he declares, "'For my eyes have seen your salvation.'" which you have prepared before the face of all people, a light to lighten the Gentiles, the nations, and the glory of thy people Israel, according to the plan. This glorious plan will not be kept secret. It's going to be declared to the world. And so into the Acts of the Apostles, go! Leave this place. Bring the message from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the othermost parts of the earth. Until Paul is there in Greece, in Athens, and he's looking around and he sees these, these statues of false gods and it grieves him in his heart. But although these heathen men are so very far from God, yet God is not so far from them. Acts 17, verse 26, God has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell upon all the face of the earth and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation that they should seek the Lord if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. And that's pretty impressive. I'm often struck when Paul the Jew groups himself in with the Gentiles. You may be circumcised, circumcised and or uncircumcised and, and making sacrifices to Zeus from Olympus, and yet God is close to you as He is to me. And He's calling you 
to seek Him. For in Him we, Jews and Gentiles, in Palestine or in Greece or in Russia or in Brazil, wherever that may be, in Him we live and move and have our being. Acts 15, after God has made it very clear, very clear to the church, beginning with Peter when he has that vision of that, that, uh, that carpet with all those animals that were forbidden Jews to eat, God made it very clear that he was saving the Gentiles. And so James stands up and confirms with Scripture what Simon had reported. To this agree, Acts 15.15, the words of the prophets as it is written, After this I will return and would build again the tabernacle of David which has fallen down. And I will build again the ruins thereof and set it up that the residue of men might seek after the Lord and all the Gentiles upon whom my name is called. All mankind. You shall be my witnesses. For three years, Jesus confined himself to the land of Canaan And he revealed himself and performed his wonders and taught. But when it was time for him to go, he said, you're not keeping it here. You're taking it. Fourth, our fourth point in the overall series, our second point today, the name of the Lord. The name of the Lord, that is, the Lord Jesus. Now, that may not be quite as profound to you because as a Christian, you've always referred to the Lord as Jesus and you've always referred to Jesus as the Lord. He is the Lord Jesus Christ. But at this time... This was a profound thing to say. Although it is true that the Greek word kurios, which is translated in the English Lord, can be used as a a term of respect, like sir in English or senor in Spanish. It also is used to speak clearly within context of the Lord, he who is Lord of lords. That is the Lord Jehovah. In fact, it is worth noting that the Greek translation of the Old Testament translated Jehovah as kurios, Lord which is why in the New Testament, 
when Jehovah is referred to, that is the word that is used, kurios, Lord. And Warfield therefore says, nothing could more convincing, convincingly bear on men's minds that Jesus had been exalted, exalted in reality and exalted in the minds of men, that he was no mere man than this constant tendency to substitute him in their religious outlook for Jehovah. My Lord and my God. This, of course, being recorded by John. But it is worth observing that of all the Gospels, Luke employs the word Lord by far the most. And this term, Lord, especially as it applies to Jesus, uh, is front and center in the Acts of the Apostles. This is the message. Jesus is Lord. That's a confession of faith. That's a declaration. And if we have any doubts about the absolute uniqueness of referring to Jesus as Lord, we have only to look, for example, at texts such as Acts 1.24. When the apostles are together, they want to know who should fill the empty slot that Judas left because he betrayed Christ and committed suicide. They pray and they say, Thou, Lord, they're praying to Jesus, Thou, Lord, which knowest the hearts of all men, show whether of these two thou hast chosen. As though Jesus was right there in their presence. Surprise, surprise, he was there by his Holy Spirit. But he is the Lord which knows the hearts of all men. Acts 2.36, Peter preaching, Therefore let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. And together with this, we see the name of the Lord, the name of the Lord Jesus being exhibited and having profound divine power in the presence of men and women. Acts 4, 10, and 12, there is a paralyzed man, and he is, he is healed, silver and gold, have we none but such as we have. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye have crucified, Be healed. It is the name of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, the lordship of Jesus. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. When the apostles pray, we frequently find them praying to Jesus. 
Stephen, as he is just about to be stoned, calls upon God and says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And when he prayed for his enemies, as you and I should do, and if you're a Christian, if you call him Lord, do not call him Lord, Lord, and neglect to do the things that he does. If he says, pray for your enemies, you pray for your enemies. And that's what Stephen did. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. Paul, going down on the Damascus Road, he had been praying, praying, praying. He was a devout Jew. He prayed unto the true God. He prayed unto the God of the fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He prayed to him. What did he call him? He called him Lord, because that's what he was. And then when the shaft of light from heaven blinds him and he falls to the ground, what does he say? Who art thou, Lord? Well, what does the Lord say? I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And really, isn't that what we have as the very reason why the early church was so cruelly persecuted was because although they would honor all the authorities that God had placed over them, they could not call them Lord as God because there is only one Lord for us and His name is Jesus. Is He your Lord, my friend? Is He your Lord? Do you know only of his lordship and yet have you not submitted to his lordship? He is lord of all. Do you live like it? He is lord of all. Are you seeking by your prayers and by your godly life, and by whatever opportunities you have, do you seek to extend His Lordship in this world, His gracious Lordship? His yoke is easy, His burden is light, and so many others, they have Satan as their Lord, and this world is their Lord. Oh, we must do all that we can to promote the Lordship of Christ. Not that we create anything concerning His Lordship, but rather that we seek to bring about the realization already, because isn't that what conversion is? We don't make Jesus Lord. We acknowledge Him as Lord. Lord, who art Thou? 
And maybe you've known the Lord for a long time and yet you've not really known him as Paul. Perhaps today, today is the day when you will finally ask, Lord, who art thou? Our fifth point in the series, our third point today, and our final point, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. Again, this is a matter of emphasis. We, of course, encounter the Holy Spirit in the other Gospels and in the rest of Holy Scripture. But there there does uh, appear to us to be something of an extra focus of good Dr. Luke. In the first two chapters, we already see the Holy Spirit active, moving, working. Kind of like Genesis 1, the Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Even so, in the Genesis of Jesus, the Holy Spirit is present. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee, and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee, Mary. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. And Simeon, old man Simeon, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. He had all those prophecies. He read them very carefully. He treasured them up in his heart. But he had some other information, didn't he? It was revealed unto him by the Holy Ghost that he should not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. When Jesus, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, And when he comes of age, finally he is baptized by the Holy Ghost and recorded only in Luke, not in any other gospel. Do we have that account of Jesus standing up in the synagogue and reading from Isaiah 61, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. The Holy Ghost would be active in the lives of the apostles. For the Holy Ghost shall teach you in the same hour what you shall say. And when Jesus ascended in Acts chapter 1, Jesus reminds the disciples, For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. You see, he who was given the Spirit without measure, the promise of the Father would come down upon this infant church and they would receive power that they might be witnesses. Now we see, don't don't we see all these things interlocking together? Not by might, nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord, as through the foolishness of preaching. These, these, these fishermen, fishermen, 
And yet there is power upon them. And the Holy Spirit is everywhere. And everywhere in their preaching. What shall we do? Sirs, we're under conviction, Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. He constantly was with them, these witnesses, the same Spirit that raised up Jesus, their Lord, from the dead. We are witnesses of these things, And so is also the Holy Ghost, whom God hath given to them that obey Him. And so when the witnesses were brought to Cornelius and his household, and he preached the gospel to him, what happened? The Holy Spirit came down in power. And how could we refuse to baptize these who have received the same gift of the Holy Ghost as we have. Well, we close this next installment of our study of God's revelation, His unique revelation through these books of Luke and Acts And we still need that same Holy Spirit. Let us pray to our Father that He would give us that good thing. Will He refuse us? We as fathers know how to give good things to our children. How much more shall our Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask us to ask Him? the Lord. He is with us by His Spirit, and may He continue with us until Jesus comes again, even He who is King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Let us close in prayer. Please stand. How grateful we are, O God, for the Lord Jesus Christ and for the presence of His Holy Spirit in the midst of the church. Even His uh, Holy Spirit uh, bearing witness with our spirits as we believe in the inspired witnesses as they are recorded for us in the Bible. Lord, uh, remember us in thy kindness, and we do ask that we might be filled with the Spirit and not quench the Spirit, and that we, O God, would be witnesses as we are able uh, to point to the Lord Jesus. And may we live for Him To him be all the praise and the honor and the glory. Amen.